You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 82 on this show, Count the Cost, Another Aspect of Coordination. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, today, a conversation about cost, but not the kind of cost that we generally think of. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. one part of it, but there's yeah. a bigger part of cost as well. Right. And, you know, I, um, I've i spent a lot of time since the federal strategic plan came out. And if you go back to podcast number 74, we did an overview of that. And you will, if you listen to it, you'll remember that I was pretty excited about the fact that they introduced the term coordination. You were excited about that, and you still are. I know, because of course we want collaboration. We talk about collaboration all the time, and we want people to work together. And because we do know that will build everybody's capacity. And then, of course, um, at the Global Center for Women and Justice, we also want to add to their three C's, the fourth C of compassion. And I'll just take a minute here and let you know, if you're listening, that our Insured Justice 2015 will be about these four C's, coordination, collaboration, capacity, and compassion. And that's our spring conference. That's our spring conference, March 6th and 7th at Vanguard University in Costa Mesa. Great. I talked to somebody this summer who said, I knew you were having a conference. I had no idea where it was. So now I say every time, insure justice at Vanguard University in Costa Mesa. California, that California. is. Not, not any other Costa Mesa. No, no, there no, is no. Because we're sunny and beautiful in March, right? We are. Yeah. So leave your wintry East Coast and come and visit us. So this whole idea of coordination is um, like being at a, at a 30,000 foot level and being able to see the big landscape and you have the opportunity to judge for are these people getting into the same territory are they are they doing the same thing over and over again in the same place is this the best use of our resources i talked to someone who was doing um homeless feeding and they discovered that another organization was doing homeless feeding in the same area on the same day and so they were discovering that um lunch bags were being left uneaten because of that duplication. So we need to be wiser with our resources because they are limited. So the idea of coordination from the federal level sounds, oh yeah, so somebody um, who can see what's happening in all 50 states um, has to kind of look at it from that perspective. But I got to thinking about how that lens might also be useful at a local level. And I have three questions for us to work through today to help us coordinate anti-trafficking efforts. And I'm particularly happy that, Dave, you are organizational leadership guru. I love listening 
to Coaching for Leaders, your oh, podcast. Thank you. thank you. I always get new ideas about how I can refine my leadership and streamline my management. And so the idea of, of how to coordinate my anti-trafficking from a leadership perspective and from um, an organizational perspective. I have three questions. Does this fit my organization? Is this the best use of my resources? And then um, did I count the cost? Mm. And so I'd kind of like to start with that first one and ask you, Dave, how can we evaluate organizational fit? Yeah, I think that this is an important question. I'm really glad you're thinking about it from the strategy standpoint, Sandy, because you know when I think about an organization, almost every organization has, if not explicitly, implicitly, some desire to do something of value for the community and the larger global community. And many of them, in fact, do that very successfully. But there's varying success on how well that those efforts fit in with that organization's vision and that organization's culture. So um, let me give an example. We, one of our clients is a large aerospace company in, uh, in California here, and they are an organization where they, they tend to be very supportive overall of obviously our military and the military culture and our armed forces. And so one of their key partners and uh, organizations that they work to support is the USO. The USO, of course, does wonderful work for our service people all over here in the States, but all over the world. Mm. And so that's an example of just a really great fit because not only does it fit with their organizational vision, which is to serve the military well through their products and services. So there's a there's a clear alignment, which is where they're interested as an organization. But there's also, and I think even more importantly, a real a real a real clear alignment with the culture of that organization. That's an org- the organization, you know, being an aerospace company, they care very deeply about the service men and women and the military and taking care of people and honoring those people and serving them well. And so when there's an event where they are supporting the work with the USO, they will they go out in droves and volunteer tons of time and resources. And it's not just about compliance for them. It is enthusiastic cooperation. Mm. It is not just our organization has an event going, you know, we need to put in a few hours or donate money. I mean, people people wear the shirts to work. It is it's crazy in a wonderful way. There's a fantastic alignment with the organization that they support and their business and their business culture. And um, and I would even argue, Sandy, that by that work, that actually leads to ending human trafficking in a non-direct way. I mean, you and I have talked oh, about yeah. just, just some of the services that veterans do and do not get in the country and how many of them in some cases are at risk too. And that that is a compounding effect. And so um, the one of the things I know we'll talk about today is how it doesn't supporting this effort of ending human trafficking doesn't mean you have to necessarily directly support an organization that is uses the term human trafficking. Yeah. And I, you know, when I think about, is this a good fit for us at Vanguard and the Global Center for Women and Justice? I remember that I understood that we wanted to do something good. And we had lots of students who wanted to do things. And we made some big mistakes 
we got involved in commitments that were time commitments that didn't fit our structure. We're an academic institution. And so that means my students come in the fall and they leave in the spring. So if I made a commitment to volunteer in the community for a year, for three months, I didn't have anybody. And, and really a fourth during the winter too. Oh during, yeah, during winter during break. Winter break yeah. And and some of our students who are wonderful volunteers and mentors for victims um, suddenly graduated and said bye and flew off to another state, leaving a gap in our program. So when I started asking myself this question, is this a good fit? I had to consider what is it that we have that really we can offer and we're an educational platform we can offer things like, hey, this podcast, Dave. Exactly. Um, we can offer conferences like Ensure Justice that every year bring the very, very best leaders in teaching and equipping us to do this well in our communities. So understanding that um, has helped me refine how we do this and make sure it's a good fit at Vanguard. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's a great example of how there was not maybe a fit on some of those things originally. And you made a decision from a leadership standpoint to think, okay, what is, how can we still support the community of people who are working on this problem, but do it in a way that really aligns with our organization's vision, core competencies and culture, and also the structural things that come along with, you know, some of the, a lot of the students only being around nine months of the year. And, then finding and creating the opportunities that would do that. And I'm so excited that we do so much of that now as, hmm. as a Vanguard entity and as the Global Center of Women, for Women and Justice, and that other people can do the other things that have the ability to have the sustainable commitment in a year-round type capacity that, that Vanguard wouldn't necessarily be able to provide. Um, but, but you did a lot of thinking around that, and I think that's, that's part of our challenge to everyone who's listening today is to... Uh, not just to jump blindly in with very good intentions into something that looks like a great opportunity to help, but to really think through, does this line up well with our organization's structure, with how we can serve long-term, um, with the real costs involved? And we'll talk about some more of these in a oh, minute. Yeah. And, and, does this, and is this the kind of thing that people in our organization will do because they feel like they should? Or is it the kind of thing that they you you can't get them to stop talking about because they're so passionate about? And so there's there's a lot of different ways to approach that. Okay, so um, let's take a look at question number two. Is this the best use of our resources? And wow, that takes a 30,000 foot level um, perspective. You can't necessarily figure that out when you're right on the ground and you're looking at your gas tank and it's a quarter of a tank. And so you're making a very pragmatic decision. We need to stop and buy gas. Exactly. And when you and I have talked about the term time economics, and mm. I use that term with our clients on occasion, that time is, economics is the science of how to make decisions with scarce resources, which we all do every day. And we do that most notably with our time. We all make decisions with our time every day, and time is the ultimate scarce resource because it's not replaceable. So if I make a choice, either as an individual or as an organization, to put our time, time resources into something, and cost goes along with this too, 
it means that we can't do something else with that. Mm-hmm. So it means that this hour that we put in on a Friday or this weekend day that we spent or this amount of budget that we spent on this, it means we've just eliminated all the other things that we could have done with that. And a lot of organizations don't and, and individuals don't think about it that way. They get excited about something and they go for it. And then later on, maybe they think, wow, you know, I really... Now I'm not spending as much time with my family as I should be, or we don't have the budget to cover our marketing program that we decided to do. And now we have to pull the funding from that organization we promised to is now counting on it and has become a part of how they support the world. And that's almost worse in some ways, Sandy, than if we hadn't done anything at all, because then we've made an initial commitment, but we have to back away from it. And, And I think our theme of coordination helps us deal with that scarcity issue Because if we coordinate our resources, uh, not just within our own organization, but in our community, we are going to see an improvement in our capacity. That's the whole principle of, of this strategy. Exactly. So, for example, if you have a large youth group and there's different teams and they all plan to go out and, and distribute rescue restore posters, like you can order, we'll put the link on here again, and you end up covering the same blocks or the same businesses that another team just did, your team is going to become discouraged because when they go in, um, those folks might be annoyed that you guys were just here last week. What are you doing? Um, So it's important to have a coordinated effort from a local capacity, a a local um, perspective, but also to build more capacity. What if in a community, all the youth groups got together and they, they divided up the whole city block by block. And this kind of coordinated strategic plan, then you would have less hours for each team. Um, you would be able to distribute the materials equitably and accomplish the goal in a coordinated fashion that everybody would celebrate. It, it's such a obvious thing when you look at it from the big picture perspective and yet is really hard sometimes when we're actually executing our strategy to think through the time to actually go in and have make some of those connections to collaborate and to think through who else might be doing this and how can we really utilize our resources effectively well and and our time um, as a resource i don't think we factor that into our strategic planning very often. Um, I think we get a white sheet of paper out and we write our goal at the top and then we have a to-do list and a, and a to-buy list and, as, and then we start passing out assignments. Um, that scarcity, tell us again the definition of economics. Oh, uh, the science of making decisions. I'm sure an economics professor will write in and say, I've got it a little wrong here, but it's essentially the science of, of making decisions with scarce resources. And we do have scarce resources. And particularly for me, you've been listening now for a couple of years, and you know that I'm really concerned that when we look at the four Ps, prevention, protection, prosecution, and partnership, that very little resources financially are available in the prevention column. And so this third question really speaks to this issue of prevention. The third question is, um, 
the title of the podcast. Um, did you count the cost? Did you count the cost? And we're, of course, talking about things like feasibility and sustainability. That's pretty logical. And any, any first-level manager is going to ask you to answer those kinds of questions. Submit a budget. Where's the money coming from? How are you going to keep sustaining it? And we've taught you how to get posters for free and a lot of ways to extend what your physical resources are. And now we've talked a little bit more about the time process. But um, the physical resources that seem available may not actually be sitting idle. So for instance, an organization may have a van that they write into their outreach project and determine that it'll be used every Saturday from 9 to 3 p.m. for distributing posters. And this is going to go on for three months, and then they will have their entire city blanketed. And this is a great project, and it counts as prevention, it counts as awareness. But what they did not count on is this idea of when you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else if you have limited resources. And that van is now unavailable for a smaller, little celebrated little outreach project that took volunteers to a marginalized neighborhood every Saturday where they tutored children and worked with single parents. So you know, if you've listened to very many podcasts, how important tutoring children in high-risk neighborhoods can contribute to prevention, helping single parents. This, can, this is a prevention strategy for reducing risk of highly marginalized um, people and children and women, even men. So we have to start asking ourselves the question about what the cost is, not what we're writing down on the paper, but where it is coming from, what is it going to take away from that might be a significant prevention strategy? And so sometimes the short-term high-visibility project can interrupt that longer-term, maybe not as flashy or as um, exciting, but in the long run might actually do more to prevent human trafficking. Those long-term connections, like you said, in this case of tutoring and spending time supporting families, um, it's it's a hard decision, Sandy. Well, and, and, it, and it's a decision that a lot of organizations don't think about. You know, Kim Yim, we've interviewed her here a couple of times, and she and I had a conversation just yesterday about an organization that goes into the Dominican Republic and they do cataract surgery. And she said, you know, what I've begun to understand from our conversations is that that can fit into the prevention column because when they do that cataract surgery for an adult, it frees up the child that's being kept home from school to help that person get around. And so a child Uh. goes to school. Now, whoever thought cataract surgery had any link with preventing human trafficking? But I think the point from this is that when marginalized situations um, are improved for a family, the outcomes are improved for the children and the whole community, which reduces everybody's risk. 
Yes, Andy, one of my favorite books, and this relates to our conversation today, is on learning organizations, and it's called The Fifth Discipline by Dr. Peter Senge out at MIT. Uh, it's a difficult book, but one of the, the analogies he draws in the book is that um, people and organizations are often trained to look at the trees, but really we should be looking at the forest and looking at how decisions we make impact the broader system of things. And that that conversation about cataracts in that example just really hits that home for me of that's the kind of thing that on its face, you would never think of any connection to human trafficking. What does that have to do at all with preventing human trafficking? And yet, when you really start to peel away and you look at the broader impact that those procedures have or don't have, it connects in a major way. Mm. To those children's lives and those families' lives and the education they receive, it's huge. Well, and that's a such a great example, the whole forest perspective. We took a, an intro to women's studies class to Colombia. We were in Medellin last, um, uh, the beginning of this month, July. And at that conference, we discussed the theology that sometimes is um, contributes the way that people look at at how we treat each other in the context of our faith. And if women are marginalized because of of significant patriarchy, what does that do in the culture to increase their risk? And having a conversation with the president of Christians for Biblical Equality, Dr. Mimi Haddad, uh, we began to talk about how her her incredible research on history and theology of how women are perceived in communities and biblically and in theological work, how that actually fits right there in the prevention category because it teaches the value of the girl child. Mm. And there are... There are documentaries out there about, we showed one last year, a girl rising about the increase in value for girls so that they get an education. That's, that's contributing to ending human trafficking. There's another one that says the, um, the three most um, deadly words are, it's a girl. And the literature shows that there's in excess of 200 million women missing because of how easy it is to abort a girl child and the preference for sons in so many cultures globally, not just one, um, makes what Mimi is doing, what Dr. Haddad is doing, a significant prevention strategy. Mm, Yeah. And I, I think about it even on a micro level, Sandy, of what can each of us do to make decisions that support that. Mm. And this may be a little off topic, but it, it, it relates exactly to what you're just saying. Um, my wife, Bonnie, and I, we have a informal rule that anytime we're asked to support an organization or we ask someone invites us to a fundraising thing or whatever, um, one of the first things we'll often do is we'll go and visit that organization's um, you know, about page or their webpage, and we'll look to see who's on the board. Mm-hmm. And if it's all men, we, and especially in some of the, I hate to say it, but in some of the faith-based um, organizations out there, if it's all men, we almost always will pass up, you know, an opportunity to get involved. 
not because that organization, and I, and I don't mean to imply that organizations that just have men on the board are not doing good work in the world, they are. We have a value among the two of us that we want to support organizations that um, see women as as equal partners in leadership with men. And so, um, so that's just a screening point for us that we don't go further if we don't see diversity in a board and other diversity things too. But gender equity is one thing we look at very strongly because we believe that. We want our kids to see, both, of, both our boy and our girl, to see us involved in organizations where women lead, where men lead. And that's really important to us. And I think every one of us can make can look at things like that as far as thinking about organizations we support, where we volunteer our time, what kind of faith institutions we're involved with, and really think through, you know, what are the decisions points we make as a family or even as an individual that supports that this ultimate goal of ending human trafficking and valuing women in particular in the world. Well, and that is such a brilliant way to bring us back full circle to um the first question about your organizational fit, because it, this does have to um, fit our vision and our culture and our values. And those are the things that are going to determine how we make those decisions with limited resources. And I think the real point of, of this podcast is a call to be careful, to look at things from the 30,000 foot level because when you say yes to this, you may be saying no to something else that is a significant prevention tool in your community that you maybe you've taken for granted. And maybe what we need to do in future podcasts is to find a lot of those hidden, nobody celebrates them prevention strategies and celebrate them. Mm, I like that. It's hard to measure prevention. You, you, if you, if you did a good job then you wash your hands and you go home. You don't have anything to show people. And that's, that's, a, that's not as glamorous as going and having a big event to raise awareness for, for modern day slavery. And every little bit helps. And a lot of times things we don't think would help can often help more than something we would call a human trafficking event. And, and again, I, I know neither of us intend to say that those things aren't good and important. They are very important. They're one piece of a very large system of how we can support. And your analogy of the, um, I always get the pronunciation wrong, the Pilati. Oh, oh, the the Pithati. Of, you know, everyone has their handle. Everyone has their thing that they can contribute to. Yeah, that's that giant jug that I can step into and you can't see the top of my head anymore. And when you fill it in the field, um, back in ancient Greece, somebody had to move it then to the palace pantry, and it took a lot of people. And all those handles meant there was a place for everybody to do something. So one of those handles, in fact, probably a number of them, are the things we traditionally think about when we think about ending human trafficking, the conferences, the events, the survivor services, those types of things. And there's a whole lot of other handles, too that not only support that, but need to be supported, like cataract surgery, for example. Yeah. I mean, things we wouldn't even think about, but are really important parts of that. This show, this podcast is one example, not a thing we would traditionally think about, but is an education point that empowers people who are a part of our listening community to go out and then make good decisions. That's a, that's a handle right there. And we all have those handles, probably so many, we don't even know what they all are yet. 
Well, coordination is going to be a lens that we use for prevention, for protection, for prosecution, and for partnership. And you know, we've done a pretty good job talking about the prevention side just now. Um, from a coordination perspective, uh, it's really important that our healthcare professionals and our victim service providers have a coordinated community plan. And how do we how do we connect in that? And we're going to be talking about that as we as we go into um, future podcasts and as we prepare for our um, Ensure Justice in March 2015, we want to look at this aspect of coordination in our communities. And there are so many people that we haven't even invited to the table yet because they didn't, they just like you said, they didn't think of what they were doing as having anything to do with human trafficking. And yet we need everybody at the table. And coordination, that's one way for us to use a lens that will help us um, do a better job with our economy of resources and time. I love that definition. And speaking of scarce resources, I know one of the things that's coming up for the Global Center of Women and Justice, for those who are looking for ways to potentially um, partner and to add value in ways that's maybe different than what you would normally think to do as far as contributing to ending human trafficking, uh, the center is one option for that. Um, we mm. may align well with your organization or with your values and what you're looking to contribute. And seeing, I know there's an event coming up in the next couple of months yes. that will help support that potentially too, for those who may look to what we're doing as part of that uh, part of that way of utilizing resources. That's a good point. Yes, More Priceless Than Diamonds is our annual luncheon. It's on September 13th at the Balboa Bay Club in Newport Beach. And we'd love to have you come. You can go to vanguard.edu forward slash GCWJ and click on More Priceless Than Diamonds and you can find out how to attend. And if you're interested in that, we would uh, love to have you go check that out and learn more about what we're doing out in the world and even if that's not a good uh, a good option for you, it will get you started of thinking of like who we're connected with too. You go on the website, you can check all the other things that are going on and the folks we'll have at that event. And then the other thing that I'd also encourage people to do, and this is something uh, pretty much anyone can do, Sandy, is you know if you have gotten value from this show and it's been helpful as far as your education and studying the issues, being a voice and being able to go out and make a difference, uh, one way you can make an immediate difference is by writing a review for this show, uh, if it's been helpful to you. The reviews that this show gets on iTunes and Stitcher actually uh, then have this show show up in more people's search results when they're looking for resources online for human trafficking. And so it helps us to continue to get this message out to even more people. So thank you for those of you who have taken the time to do that. We so appreciate it. And if you haven't already done that, um, head over to iTunes or Stitcher, search for Ending Human Trafficking, whichever directory you use. And we would love to have you uh, take a moment to write a review. It takes about two minutes and it'll be huge for helping other people to find this show as a resource. And also, thank you very much to all the work that Alexis does to support this show. Uh, she just does a fantastic job in our office of writing the show notes each episode and I uh, just wanted to give a shout out to her. I don't know if we've, right. we've mentioned her Alexis before Miller. a few times. So thank you, Alexis. And I mentioned that because she always writes great notes for the episodes. So you can go online and find them at gcwj.vanguard.edu. 
And as always, if you have feedback for us, you can reach us by email. GCWJ at vanguard.edu is the place to send in a question or comment about the show. Or you can call us at 714-966-6360. And we are the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University in Costa Mesa, California. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.